0: Hi, I'm Rob Bansford, and welcome to our post uh, edition of the Ryder Rumpen uh, podcast. And uh, with me is, uh, is, of course, Mary McCormick, our venerable Football writer, and here's a cameo of my dog. Hi, Candy. There, isn't she adorable? Okay. Uh, with that out of the way, she may she may crash the podcast. She's done this a few times where I've been podcasting and she goes into a face looking frenzy. So I just thought I would forewarn people. She was my best draft pick in a long time. Certainly my best acquisition. Uh, it seems like the Riders had a comparably successful day on Tuesday. Um, how would you evaluate what they
1: did? Well, it gives me pause for thought, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> looking. are uh, the uh, dogs on this one. Yeah, we're, we're just, some tall tales come out of this story for sure. Anyway, and we we'll are both being in the doghouse if we don't get going on this pretty darn quickly. Uh, I I look at it, I think they did well. And it's it's always with the caveat that, you know, who knows how you do well in a CFL draft because it's such a crap shoot at the best of time. But I think Nelson Lacombo, I think that was the guy they really needed. I... I I, I kind of predicted in my mind, and I don't know if I told people that they were going to go with a combo. I think he was a, uh, he gives them so much versatility and ability to play uh, cornerback, defensive halfback. He could play safe. He could come up in the box and play Sam. He's athletic. He can play special teams. He's kind of a local guy. He's from CU Vest, another one that keeps that sort of local connection going for the second straight year. So a good, solid pick, and they needed some depth with that. And I think. Look at their second overall pick, second round pick in Terrell Janna, a good slot receiver. Looking at the videos on YouTube, good speed, good foot planting, and uh, played for a, you know, a high caliber program at University of Virginia. So you don't think they really need a receiver, but you can just kind of like go by you never have enough good Canadian receivers. So he kind of kept in there and maybe helped, helped out with that. And after that, you know, then it becomes even a, a bigger crapshoot. I think in the draft that you know they're, they're drafting the guys looking ahead, but I would I really have to admit that there's a guy they landed with the uh, the fifth pick, Logan Bandy, from the University of Calgary, an offensive lineman, who in my initial drafts using, I had maybe him first because I just thought he was a big guy he could to sort of step in that line, add to the offensive line depth. He's not; he's only two eighty five, so he'd get a little bit heavier, but. I thought they, they got him in the sixth or in the fifth. Sorry about that. I'm just checking my notes here. So another good pick, you know, a late pick that, you know, we can show up and help out. I think it goes on along with Charbel DeBier that last year. Charbel, Charbel. DeBier. sorry. I didn't even want to touch his name. Uh You know, he was a fourth rounder. It's turned out to be a starter. So another a good sort of late round pick that could turn out that way. Um uh, you know, there's another guy. They got they went a little bit of futures early, which I was surprised with. Bruno LaBelle, a tight end splash, kind of pullback out of Cincinnati, who's signed with the, with the Arizona Cardinals. And who knows where ever see him? But you know, you can take flyers in those later picks, even though it's already a sixth round draft. So overall, are they a better team today? Yeah, I guess I don't know. Who knows if they're with a the draft? But I, I, I like I like what I saw with out of J, out of uh, Jeremy O'Day. They've gained a lot of flexibility with ratio now with guys that can start, that can come in and play, particularly with Combo and uh, uh, Janna. So, I don't know, Rob, do you have any quick thoughts on the draft? I know you're, not, you're not getting away from not saying anything about the draft. <laughs>
0: um, I, I got a few thoughts. First of all, I must apologize for the background noise. I presume it is audible. Outside my condo, it seems like they are pulling uh, something up. So there's all sorts of beeping and booming, so I do apologize. The dog is sleeping through it, but uh, hope you might be sleeping through this podcast as well. Um, Terrell Jan, I mean, that was a player who had been talked about as a possible first overall pick, and the Rough Riders got him at number 17. Uh, always a good number when I remember Joey Walters. But uh, receiver didn't seem to be an area of need, uh, considering that there's, there's Braden Lanius. They, they drafted Justin McInnes. Uh, last year as well. Uh, Jake Hardy is, is trying to make a comeback. Mitch Picton is part of the equation. So they, they seem to be pretty well stocked at Canadian receivers. But when somebody of Terrell Jana's caliber is available at 17, you have to make that pick. And suddenly you wonder if he's going to leapfrog a lot of people. I, I think John Hodge of Three Down Nation is already touting him as someone who might have a thousand yard potential. Mm-hmm. Can you get that the second round? Well that's uh, that's interesting. They once got Ray Elgar in the second round. So uh, that, that to me really really stands out as a is a, a steal. You mentioned you mentioned uh, um, of course Logan Bandy, and that's another player who'd been excused upon bandied about as a as a higher pick. And they've got him in the fifth round and uh, and addressing the offensive line depth is always crucial when you look at some of the age that they're dealing with, uh, with Brendan Lebat turning 35 this summer, and Dan Clark almost 33. So uh, as far as Lacombe, um you look at the departure of Cameron Judge, and who was the second overall pick, and and I, and I wonder if Nelson Lacombo might figure into the equation really nicely, not necessarily as a linebacker, but as someone who can address the ratio issue that was uh, created with the departure of Cameron Judge to the – the Toronto Argonauts. So uh, I really, uh, I mean, again, we've never seen. I'm the only player in this group I've seen play. With, is Lacombe, and uh, and uh, it's it's impossible not to be overwhelmed with his skills when you watch them play university football. But uh, you assess this, and you and you hear you, you hear some of the assessments from people who've seen a lot of these players, if not all, if not all of them, and, and how can you not be impressed?
1: You know, you and I avoid cliches like the plague. You know, we've said that <laughs> thousands and thousands of times. But it really is in this draft, and I got the sense of Jeremy O'Day, best player available. Kind of sure. like it. You know, underlines that. Yeah, so if you, if, regardless of where you need him, if he's the best player available, you get him. And I'm, I know it's the Steelers drafted Najee Harris in the NFL draft, not in the Pittsburgh Steelers, for may sound a bit of a tangent. Are not much of a running team, why would they take a running back with their first overall, their first-round pick? Is because he was the best player available at his position. So you take him, and you find space for him. And I think that's what Jeremy has done in the draft. Because it's it's a weird draft, because you still got – last year's class still have to come to training camp and still be evaluated. So you've got lots of players there. So you may as well just take – Jan is not a flyer by any stretch, but get the best player available and see what he can do for you, and who knows and move ahead, like, you know, these kids This if it's a season one, I'm, I'm actually as I said, I've watched his videos, and I'm really excited to, to see Jana play, and I I've talked to Paul Waldo about uh, Combo and Paul had incredible things to say about, about uh, Nelson, and you know, Paul is, was, was playing in the CFL and he's a good guy, and he coached him and stuff so, mm-hmm. I really think the Riders landed two great ones with the first two picks, and we'll, we'll wait to see what happens with the, the remaining four uh, one of the other things too was an interesting uh, slide part of this was Jake Burt going first. You know, he's a Regina guy, kind of Regina. You know, you and I, we that like the guy who lived here he was four, and he moves, and he still calls Regina his hometown, which is pretty cool. But that I, I was kind of stunned by that one. I didn't think he. I don't. I don't know if he's not saying he's a CFL player, but he's kind of that tight end person, big receiver that. Is used, utilized more in the NFL than the CFL doesn't have tight ends, so I'm not quite sure where where Hamilton is going to play him. But at the same token, maybe he was the very best player in the draft. He was at the New England Patriots on their practice roster for a whole season, so he must have some skills. So maybe, you know, the Tiger Cats went the same way with the best player available, and they get this, Jake Burke. And it was so funny. You watch the videos online; you can see the whole family celebrating the uh, him getting picked first of all, and Orlando Steinhauer telling him about that. It's a pretty good moment, and it's a cool story to have a Regina, so-called Regina guy who grew up in Boston who still calls Regina his hometown. So that was a that was a nice surprise and a nice way to kick off a draft, I thought. That was a uh, a
0: fun way to start things. Well, on Three Down Nation, I think it was John Hodge, maybe Justin Dunk, one of them, perhaps both of them, said that the Rough Riders had been considering Burt at number two, Yeah. Had he- uh, not been picked by Hamilton. Is that your understanding
1: as well? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I, can I say I had written a big story on, <laughs> on Mr. Burke for today's paper that I was hoping I wouldn't have to rewrite on quickly on deadline. That feel well. That <laughs> it's, it's been very nicely, thank you. <laughs> they went to the combo. I don't. You know, I, I don't know if they. I don't know if they could have gone with him. I don't know if he fits. I don't think he's as good as a pick as as Jana. So we can step in and right away play. Do you need like, as I said before, the tight ends still playing play in the CFL. No one uses them anymore, Rob.
0: You know that as well as I do. Riders picked Bruno Labelle
1: in yeah. the third round, twentieth overall, a tight end yeah. for Cincinnati. So you can't so. scratch your head and you go, "What's going on here with that one?" Yeah, but you know, he they just take a flyer on him and see what happens down the road, and then maybe go this H back and this. Like, how often does a fullback even get in a game anymore? Like a couple of plays, and they're kind to and they have they already have some good ones on the roster, so. Yeah, I, I would have been cool to have Berger. I think there's a lot of family members. There's, there's another a kid I know. I know he didn't have much of a chance of being drafted. It was Michael Bojay, who grew up in Regina, but went down to the States to do all his training in football in Orlando and kicked around. And uh, a Canadian quarterback has no chance of being drafted. But that would have been another nice story of a kid with a Regina catch to get drafted or something like that. But there's Are a reality we, in a six-round draft too.
0: What do you make of this tight end thing, though? Like, I, I wondered for a while that – Considering that so many teams are going with the the kind of the hybrid defensive back slash linebacker, a lot of teams are undersized in the box. So suddenly if you're a coach and you're thinking, okay, if we start using a tight end or an H-back more, um, can we take advantage of the size disparity? Yeah. And so suddenly the Hamilton Tiger Cats pick a player who in college was a tight end, and then the Rough Riders in the third round pick a tight end, uh, a few years ago, they picked Anthony Eau Claire, who ended up with a t- with Tampa Bay, I believe is now with Houston. Uh, he's a tight end. Uh, I just wonder, could, could the composition of rosters and the composition of the defensive front seven lend itself to a bit of a rejuvenation of the tight end? Because you've got a 240, 250-pounder yeah. uh, in a position where he can crunch defensive backs who are playing linebacker. and. Uh, could that be a, a way the game is evolving because of the way defensive coaches are aligning the personnel?
1: I think you're paying on a good point there, Rob. I crave credit you for that. It's a good idea. I think that it is a good idea to take advantage of those smaller guys. And, get these. and also, I can't remember his 40 time, but he can also run. He's not a slow man by any stretch of, any stretch of imagination. So he could come in and be an impactful big slot right off the bat maybe and just sort of like, oh, Ray Elgard? Yes, I was just thinking of that. <laughs> when you said taking advantage of the smaller fans, like imagine Ray Elgard being able to have an opportunity in these kind of offenses now, against these kind of defenses now. It would be pretty cool to see that.
0: Well, you yeah. know, and, and you look at the, that, uh, the way that Ray could dominate smaller defensive halfbacks and yeah. and had a very deceptive stride. And And I said the other day, I don't recall to whom, but, we might never see a Ray Elgard again, but suddenly, and we won't, I mean, 13,198 yards, I don't think we're going to see a, a bruising Canadian receiver do that, but I just thought that he's just a, he's a kind of an outlier as far as the, you know, contrasting his style to the way that slot, the slot, pack, slot back position has evolved, but suddenly if you start using some of these trucks at slot back and give them a running start,
1: <laughs>
0: honestly, you know, the, the athleticism that, that uh, Burt clearly possesses makes you wonder i mean give him a running start and good luck to anybody who dares to get in the way and uh i'd just like to see a real guard type player again i' be
1: cool. and i think you know this one thing janet is they, they can maybe go with two canadian receivers one on the wide side and you know the options now are are open to them they, they, i I, they, and I and we talked a little about this but O'Day really addressed the, they, with losing Cameron Judge, they wanted to address the ratio and change what they did. So now they have so many different options to, to do with the ratio. You know, they could go, you know, they could go two Canadians on offense, and or five Canadians on offense, and two American, two on defense, and now all of a sudden your impactful players are all over the field as Americans. So O'Day has given Jason Shivers and uh, Jason Moss some real options for the Canadian receivers, and they're not going to be more than just you got to play seven. They're going to be part of the offense and part of the defense, and I think that's going to be exciting. It'll take you back to the, to so you. You've got to have canes. or I hate to say it, they're probably a little cheaper nowadays, as opposed to the old days that they need help with cap space. So I, I think they, you know, it's a, there's, there's good depth at the Riders. They, they still, they also have a great secondary. They still have good guys returning, but now you have LaCombou and maybe uh, you know push things at a, at a cornerback or a safety and see how good things can get. So. As I said, are they a better team? We'll see on, what, in the future. But I, I think they did a lot of good things in this draft. And, of course, I say that because what do I know? <laughs> I mean, how do you say they don't? Because it's really hard to predict well, that. It's in the draft, you can plug your
0: nose immediately <laughs> you know, back when. but
1: I think I remember one draft, and I'm trying to remember, the writers had only two picks in the draft, and they were so late. They were trying to hype up these two guys that not there was I mean,
0: a DuPont Augustin draft. One year they picked uh, Curtis Gallick and Usman. They had two first round draft choices. They picked uh, Curtis Gallick and Usman Tukara in the first round. 1989 they had three first round picks and they drafted Kevin Smelly, Andrew Thomas, and who was the third guy? Donovan Wright. All <laughs> of whom became Rough Rider legends as we know. Yeah. So uh, um, uh, Ruben Mays was their first round pick in 1986. Yeah. So they've had some. They've had some. You know. Some drafts. Uh, Trent Soper in 1981. They've had some drafts blow up in there. Tyson St. James first overall. We can go on and on, but uh, I'm to think of the
1: year they, took they took two Rams from
0: this draft in Rough Rider history.
1: I'm trying to think of the year they took two Rams late. An offensive lineman. I'm oh, sorry, I shouldn't be off I can't remember to look that up. But it's just because in my time I've written about some pretty young guys trying to make it. For those. Why did Terrell Jana fall to 17? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I, I don't know. I just I didn't. I kind of just watched them drop and drop and drop. And you just maybe you know because it, it goes back to that fun I guess the best player available by other teams is, a, is the best player available. That may not be the writers' best player available. So they kind of have their team so preoccupied with looking for beef that maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> <you're laughs> to do it as
0: well. I mean, it's generally offensive linemen, defensive linemen, players of that description. Our, our team so. Preoccupied with picking three hundred pounders that that uh, Terrell that, uh, Janna slips slips through, you just wonder. You know, there was talk that Hamilton would pick him first overall. So if other sure. teams going with the best player available well into the second round, why wouldn't that that uh, compel them to pick Terrell Jana? The, the the Rough Riders with the snake format with the draft, they were they were they had the penultimate pick in the second round, and they were still able to get him. I was. I was absolutely shocked. If they picked him second
1: overall, I don't think anybody would have even blinked. Well, and would exactly that. But I, I, looking back in hindsight, I still think they, they took the right guy with a second pick. I don't think combo would have made it by the Blue Bombers at the third pick. I think they all saw an impactful defensive special teams player who's going to make a big difference. And probably for a long time, too. One of those guys, you know, probably have to make sure we say that word probably in there. And, they, and I'll say move on. So now we move on now. This was a, it was kind of fun to live in this sort of uh, a false reality of football for, for 12 hours What's
0: right is we've been living in a false reality for 35 years.
1: For how many hours or 48 hours are we actually kind of put aside the, the reality of what's going to happen? Is it going to be a season and just sort of approach things as, you know, back to the to the good old days of so 2019 when the draft was an idea of getting excited about the season ahead and and what might possibly be going on and not have that other word, COVID-19, hanging over our shoulders and bringing it down. So it was, it's been kind of fun to speculate and talk about real football but, and talk about football coming back, but we can get to the end. We still don't know, okay? Things are looking a little better. Vaccinations are making an impact, but still a mess in Ontario. Alberta it's still, still, hmm?
0: it's still a mess here. Look at these numbers, compare them to May of last year. Um, I think a lot of the assumptions going into the new year was, was was that once the vaccine started rolling out, that we'd see an appreciable decline in numbers, and we really aren't. We haven't. No. And yet they're they're talking about reopening the province. Um, let's yeah, just no. get numbers under control first, as opposed to creating false hope. That's my political statement for the day, but yeah. it factors into somewhat, I think, a, a growing pessimism on my on my uh, part that anything is going to unfold because until they can control this virus a lot of what we're doing is 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 moot or could be moot and uh, um, here we are first week of may and i i you look at these numbers and it's very alarming and, and even though people are being vaccinated so so in such a widespread fashion now where when is that going to seriously impact the numbers not only here but elsewhere in the country ontario is a mess alberta is a mess and between Ontario and Alberta, you've got five of the nine CFL teams. Oh, exactly. good. Yeah. So that's it's why i right. for the
1: day. But I well, enjoy. there goes all the optimism I had when I woke up this morning, Rob. Thank yeah. you. Robbie yeah. Downer, thanks. There goes – My dog is cute. Look, well, at He her. is cute. She is a cutie. She's adorable.
0: So there's that. But now, yeah. I've, now I've taken myself out of the screen. Am I still on the screen? Yeah. the like, thing, too, is by the time some of these players mature – are there even going to be Canadians in the CFL? Well, is this the last CFL draft? You know, will there, how many more CFL drafts will there be if, if this XFL thing becomes an Americanized league? Uh, that's an interesting thought to ponder as well. But we have to. I think it's let's. I think it's best right now to look at it within the parameters of okay. Let's presume there is a season. Even that Mudda might be a bit of a stretch. And how did they do? Uh, in, in this false reality we're trying to portray and, and uh, honestly, we may look back at it in a year or two and think, well boy, we, we were really high on these players who turned into nothing. but I think that's pretty unlikely in this in this case because uh, you just look at the appraisals of, uh, of so many of the players that they've picked and uh, I don't know how and I mean John Hodge again, a three down nation is given the rough riders overall draft a grade, a grade of A plus.
1: I saw that, yeah. That was, uh, and, uh, I don't think it's a mark you can question with the first two picks. As I said, the next four, get Phil Bandy in there. You know, that's pretty good. And uh, I was trying to avoid even saying his name, Rob. Could you, Alain Sima. Simakinda. Simakinda. Another guy that may turn out to be a little bit of a flyer, not a flyer, a dark horse in this draft. But
0: Maybe not was, a flyer, but a rider.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But he, you know, he's a guy. He can, he's a backup defensive. He can be a backup defensive tackle. He's he had a bunch of sacks with Guelph, and he, you know, almost came close to Michael Shea's record from the defensive tackle position. So don't he maybe you know that Mac Henry's not getting any younger. He's not. He's still effective. But Mac Henry, you know, they could could start two tackles, two K tackles, which would be a stretch with Michael Johnson around. But the the thing is, and as, as I, my follow story kind of touches upon, the options he's created, O'Day has created. Through this draft, two free agent with Canadians is really good. We're going to see how that turns out. It looks so far, it looks like pretty impressive. What you have to remember,
0: too, is you want to be able to start eight Canadians, not seven. Yes, because yeah. if you start seven Canadians and one of them gets hurt, then it's absolute chaos. So, you want to give yourself that buffer where. Yeah. Uh, if a Canadian gets hurt, you don't have to remove a starter or start tinkering in order to meet the ratio requirements during a game. So that magic number ideally is eight. And this I think they've really helped themselves get to the number eight here.
1: And it's hard to say, like Brett Boyko and uh, Jeremy O'Day mentioned, Brett Boyko could possibly play tackle. That, not very often it's getting pretty rare to have a Canadian tackle in the CFL, offensive tackle. It's, I think the defensive ends are so quick and so wiry and so speedy that I night, tackles are a bit of a disadvantage. Everyone goes with Americans. Need like, a
0: Enoch, and he's a bad Enid. And I think he's become a bit of an outlier.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. So, you know, maybe that's kind of. And Brett Boyk was a little bit older, but maybe he can step in there and help them play. But, you know, and O'Day, we have to remember that O'Day still has some pretty good American talent on this team. They're still, you know, they still, back in 19, were finished first in the West. They were still in the West final. They still got a, a great quarterback, they got a, some great receivers. You know, they got depth in the defensive backfield along the offensive line. and American linebackers, well, other than Larry Dean, we don't know what's going to happen there yet. I don't think. There's, there's a whole bunch of American names in there. So they could go with three American linebackers. Awesome. And I think, again,
0: LaCombo might give them their luxury. You play him a field corner, and yes. suddenly, okay, does LJ McCrae move move down to, to a linebacker spot? Yes. You say Lucia's pure voice. <laughs> A possibility for that uh, position. It's uh, again, it's uh, that creates so much flexibility. Not only the flexibility that combo possesses as a player, but the flexibility that he gives them at other positions by wherever you use him. I think that gives you some luxuries elsewhere. But
1: uh, okay. just another one last point with him. He had a 98 yard punt return, I think, or an interception return for a touchdown. Is that against the Rams, Rob? would you see yeah. what that?
0: What's against the Rams?
1: Yeah, so the guy's got some speed. That's still pretty good, whatever
0: happens. Two, two back for touchdowns. And uh, just a, a tremendous player. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I did do my scouting there. I saw him firsthand.
1: So <laughs> Even Jeremy Yeah, I think the right the of coaches went to watch him play on purpose at Mosaic Stadium one day.
0: Sure. Well, um, i got to take my dog to the vet. Did I mention that
1: she's cute? So we better, we we better, better give him one last peek at it so we can say dog, goodbye. Yeah. Who's who, she's stressing right now? Isn't she cute? She she does, she does do a lot of sleeping, Rob. I don't know, maybe she. She is uh, sleeps
0: roughly twenty six hours a day.
1: So That's like the best life you can live.
0: So uh, if she slept any more, she'd have our jobs. So, yeah. So all right, Rob, it
1: was great chatting with you. Keep working the skinny, keep going exercising, and all those good things. And uh, what would our next? Do you want to predict what our next ride of rumblings will be? Who knows, eh? Well, probably sometime in June,
0: when they kind of make a decision as to whether they can adhere to that uh, template that would would lead to a July opening of training camps and an August fifth uh, commencement of the regular season. So, here's hoping. Where the uh, subsequent podcasts, we're just talking about uh, the, the business of football and some some encouraging developments, and that my earlier pessimism proves to be. Proofs be unfounded, or my pessimism since I'm talking to Michael. You knocked all my optimism
1: out of me, you slapped it right out of me. Too. I'm
0: a total downer, and I yeah. do all for that, for puncturing your, your balloon. So. Yes, yeah, the bubbles burst. For Murray and for Candy, I'm Rob Baggill. Thank you so much for uh, your time today, and we look forward to talking to you uh, soon. Take care, and have a great day.